Based on your guys's feedback from when we did the survey, um, you guys were all over the place, but in a good way. Um, but what I really got back from, from all you guys is that it, it kind of ranged from, I want to learn how to evangelize, I want to learn how to witness better, I want to learn how to be a better disciple, I want to learn how to walk with God and be close with God, I want to learn how to deal with issues of the heart. So we're like going to do all of that <laughs> on Wednesday night. Um, not to all tonight, no way, that's a little bit overwhelming. I know, I'm sorry. Um, but over the course of the next, whoever knows how long, we're, we're going to be doing this study. So we're going to be hitting a whole hodgepodge of different topics, but it's all within the whole concept of being a disciple. Because I really feel like coming out of camp, that's what resonated the most with you guys as far as I don't want to be part of the multitude anymore. I want to be a disciple. Um, I'm tired of dealing with the same things that I've always dealt with. I'm tired of always struggling. And I just need to work through some things. So there's lots of stuff that we're going to be hitting. We're going to, you know, how to deal with, uh, you know, sin issues and temptations, how to deal with those things. Um, there's some stuff I'm going to be bringing back from my junior high days, which will always be fun. Uh, we'll do that because I just I remember some vivid illustrations that I used in junior high that stick in my head. And if you go and you ask Katie Taylor today, she still will remember that lesson. At least she'll remember the picture I drew up on the board. She may not remember the lesson, but she'll remember the picture. Um, because it's just very powerful. So we're going to go through some of that stuff. That's your sister, by the way. That's your sister. Did you know that's your sister? Yeah. Okay. Catherine? Yeah. Okay. K to the T. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, so we're going to be dealing with all that kind of stuff. So what I wanted to start off with tonight is just talking about some of the basics and, and opening up the scriptures. Some of this stuff is going to be repetitious for you guys. But that's okay, because um, my challenge is even though you may have heard some of these things, even though you think you might understand what it means, you don't, because there's always something new that we need to learn. So we can learn these things and listen to these things with a, a fresh set of ears, um, because we need it. Because I would say this, how many of you would say, 100%, I am the most faithful disciple that I could possibly be at this point in time in my life? All right. The only person that could do that would be Jesus. That's right. That's about it. So there's always something that we can learn. So I want you to think about this because we we have an environment here at the church where we talk about discipleship a lot. Uh, we do discipleship in the junior high, in the senior high, in the adult stuff. Um, so it's part of our culture. But anything that's part of your culture, we we might have the idea that we understand it or that we get it, but we really don't. Because it's information that we're like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And yeah, I can, I can probably explain this to somebody else. But like we talked about at camp, you're coming down to matters of the heart. Do I really understand it in my heart? And am I willing to look at my life and say, yes, I am a faithful disciple? So that's what we're going to do. So disciple, disciple, learning to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that's exactly how it's stated in Matthew. Um, I like how it's stated that way because denying yourself is one thing and taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's not necessarily a progression. It's not like you have to deny yourself before you can take up your cross and you have to deny yourself and then take up your cross before you can follow Jesus. No, it's all at the same time. It's all at the same time. You have to deny yourself daily. You have to take up your cross daily and you got to follow Jesus daily. So we're going to be talking about that. So as we go through this, here's what I want from you guys. I want you guys to listen intently. I want you to listen with your heart, but I really want you to think about this. And if there's anything that comes up while we're talking about different topics that you're like, you know what, I just don't understand that. Or how do I do that? Just stop and ask the question. I want this to be more interactive than some of our other series that we've done before. Okay? So do it. If not, then I will stop you and I will force you to ask me questions. And I don't want to do that. 
Andy wants that, but I don't want to do that. Okay, so introduction. What is a disciple? I mean, a disciple. I like to mispronounce words sometimes, by the way. What is a disciple? All right, so this is straight out of Webster's 1828, which gets their definitions from the Bible. That's why we tend to use that one as a tool of Bible study. So there are two definitions that I really, really like. One is a learner. So that's your first blank there. A learner. It is a learner, a scholar. One who receives or professes to receive instruction from another as the disciples of Plato is an example. So a learner, that's the focus there, a learner, someone who is a learner. They learn new information. They seek to understand the teachings of another person. So that is a learner. Number two, a follower, a follower, which means an adherent to the doctrines of another. Hence, the constant attendance of Christ were called his disciples. And hence, we should start saying hence more often, shouldn't we? All Christians are called his disciples as they profess to learn and receive his doctrines and precepts. And the thing that might help you a little bit here, because this is my tendency, is it's not just learning them and it's not just receiving them, but it's doing them. Okay, doing them is implied. So whenever you see in the Bible, like they received his words, it's not just I hear it and I get it. It's that I hear it and then I do it. That's the difference. In our Laodicean culture, when we say, oh yeah, I received that, that means you understood it. But that doesn't mean you're actually doing it. So that's a big difference right there. Let's take a look at a couple of these passages. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Ready, <laughs> Andy. Good job, Andy. <laughs> We're not doing sword drills yet. Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Andy, why don't you read verse 24 and 25? <laughs> yes, 24 and 25. Okay. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house uh, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call him of his household? Okay. So here, Jesus has a great correlation here. So the servant is never above his master. We know that. But then he correlates that to the disciple and his master. So when the disciple is fully trained, he is as his master. So he mimics him in a way. Now, but it's more than that. You actually become that person. So that's the end of Christianity. That's why Christians are called Christians is because the end of discipleship for Christian is that you act, say, think, behave like Jesus Christ would. And so a real good test is that in whatever circumstance you're in, no matter what it is, if you handle something this way or you talk to this person this way or you make this kind of a decision, would that be the same decision that Jesus would make? Would he make the same decision that you would just make just now? Would he say the same things that you just said? Would he? Because if not, then there's something that's not right. It's not matching up. Because as his disciples, as we keep growing in our relationship with him, more and more and more, each and every day, we look, sound, behave just like Jesus Christ. So you have to constantly measure yourself against him as that standard. Because he is our master. We are his disciple. Okay? Go over to chapter 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. <laughs> Who got it? Who called it? 
Oh, Timmy, you got it? All right, all right. I want to see proof because I was there pretty quick. Too. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate, we're never going to get done. Matthew 16, 24. Timmy, read it. And 25. Okay, so a couple of things are to hear. So when you see the, the deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. So that's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, if you were to really boil this down and study this out, you'll find out that Jesus, he denied himself. In what ways did Jesus deny himself? How did he deny himself when he was here on the earth? What did he do? No. When the devil offered him bread. Yeah, and he said, no. no. Right? When he could have said, yes. yes. All right, see? Not too bad. See, questions are not that bad, right? How else? The devil offered him water. Yep, absolutely. What else we got? Timmy. Yep. Everything? Yep. When he's on the cross, they just told him to get off it and he was gonna. Yep, and he could have easily done that, but he didn't. How else did Jesus deny himself? Yeah. Just through the story of the cross. Mm -hmm. The dignity he didn't have. Right. He didn't deserve to die like that. And yet he took it. Yeah. Coming down as a child. Yes. I mean, that blows my mind. Every time I think about that, where I think about like um you know, in, in John chapter 1, it says that everything was made by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 is the same thing there too. Everything was made by Jesus Christ. So how weird is it, like if you can imagine this, and, and it's, this is not possible. This is probably the closest that we could ever come. But let's just say, for example, you created a Lego city or Play-Doh. I don't know. Which one do you like better? Lego. All right, Lego. All right, Lego. All right, so let's say you make Lincoln Log. I love Lincoln Logs. Anyway. But do a Lego city. You made a Lego city, but then you had the power to turn yourself into a little Lego person and put yourself in it. Oh, that'd be so cool. Right? Yeah. And then your little brother and sister come and, you know, chew on your head and everything. Okay. But the whole point here is that it would take a great amount of humility to change your position and to be subject to something that you created. I mean... Majorly, So you think about how everything was made by the hands and the breath and the mouth of Jesus Christ. That he spoke in Genesis 1-1, that was him. When he said, let there be light, it was Jesus. That's what he said. All the things that he made. When it, when it talks about in Psalm, uh, what is it, 138? Not 138. Uh, one, wherever. I forget where it talks about. Where you're, you're knit together in your mother's womb. 139, might be. Anyway, wherever it's at. It's in Psalms. When it comes to that... You understand that Jesus Christ was the one that actually knit you together. He was responsible for putting you, assembling you together with your DNA and everything inside your mother's womb. That's crazy. And so Jesus then himself, who's responsible for all creation, he entered into the very world that he created and in a weird way made himself in the womb of Mary. I mean, you start fathoming this for a second. It just starts to melt your mind a little bit. Like Diego, he loves to have his mind melted. We had a long conversation at the bonfire a couple weeks ago about that. So you start thinking about that. That takes a massive amount of humility. It would, he, he, he does not deserve to be made subject to, as one of his own creatures, but yet he did that. So in all ways, he denied himself. I mean, he did not deserve to be mistreated, be, be made fun of, to carry the sin of the world upon his shoulders, to be separated from God the Father for a moment in time, uh, to die a cruel death, to die among thieves, to, to sweat or to even smell. Like he didn't even deserve to do that kind of stuff, but he did. He did. So he denied himself and he literally took up his cross and my cross and your cross. And we're supposed to follow him. 
So he's the example that we're supposed to follow after. I think that's really interesting. So there's several other, you know, mentions there. You can look up those scriptures later, but that's the whole idea, all right? Now, here's what I want you to really get, and here's the second um, bullet point under this one, all right? So dash number two. It is important to understand that God expects all Christians to be disciples. I want to make sure you guys really get this. God expects all Christians to be disciples. There are some people in this world that think that they can be a Christian and not a disciple. That's not possible. Like the way the Bible treats it and the way the Bible looks at it, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. So there's not like, well, you know, well, that person, they're just more faithful than another. You know, they're just, they're just a really good Christian. No, no, no. Every born again Christian is to be a disciple. Like there's no excuse. So everybody needs to be discipled. Everyone. Every single person needs to be discipled. They need to go through the process of being discipled as Jesus did with his, his followers and his disciples. All right. So in fact, look at this. The term Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Only three times Christian even shows up in the Bible. And the first mention of it was used to describe faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Go to Acts 11. Acts 11. Acts chapter 11. Sam. All right, awesome. Connor's got it. Whoa. I'm sensing a competition brewing in the coming weeks. Acts 11. And verse 26. Acts eleven twenty-six. Go ahead, Connor. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. 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 And it came to pass that a whole year... They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and, disi- and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, Antioch. That's right. So the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So this is important. We've read this verse many, 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 many times in the past. If you've read through the book of Acts at all, I'm sure you've hit it at one point in time. But you could read this verse over and over and over like I have, and I failed to realize this. The disciples were called Christians first. So this progression is very, very important. It's not like, okay, Lord, Jesus Christ saved me. Yay, I'm a Christian. Now let's learn how to be a disciple. No, that's not what the Bible says. Those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, they are his disciples. And through process of time, they're called Christians. That's how it's supposed to be. So ours, our thinking and our understanding is whacked out. We are whacked out with this. We call ourselves Christians, but we're not even disciples. We're not even faithful disciples. No, no, no. Disciples, when they're faithful, are called Christians. So understand that. This, this, that truth alone should cause you to change your entire life. Like just rethink everything. <laughs> because Christians means that you look and act and talk just like Jesus Christ. That's it. You're a reflection, an accurate reflection. It, it's as if like, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, it is an accurate reflection of how you look. Some of you care more than others. That's just another personal problem you'll have to deal with later. But when you look into the mirror, you have a reflection of who you are. And so when people look at you, do they see the reflection of Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And they should be able to see that. If they look at you and they don't see anything different than anybody else, well, then you're not a Christian. In that sense, you're not acting like one. You're not looking like one. And so there's a problem. There's some inconsistencies that you have to reconcile. 
So understand that. So the first mention was to use describe faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And then I thought this was interesting. And the only other two places are Acts 26, 28, and then 1 Peter 4, 16. Those are the only other two places that use the term Christian. While the term disciple or disciples is used in 256 verses in the Bible. One time in the Old Testament and the rest in the New Testament. So 255 times in the New Testament and then one time in the Old Testament is the term disciple even used. So what do you think God cares more about? You being called a Christian or being a disciple? A disciple. You need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is absolutely impossible to be a faithful Christian without being a disciple. You have to be a disciple first. And so I hope this begins to really reshape your thinking on this because it's really helped me with mine. All right, so we've got that down, and we need to chew on that and think about that in the coming weeks for sure. But now we've got to ask ourselves this question. This might be as far as we get. We'll see, and then we'll do page two either next week um, or we can finish it out really quickly or we'll figure it out. But I don't want to rush us because this is really, really important. So how does one become a disciple of Jesus Christ? So this may sound very routine, but we just need to slow down because like we just saw from what is a disciple, I don't think our understanding is right. So we need to go back and just think through this a little bit, see what the Bible has to say. How does one become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Hey, I was there before all y'all. Must have been Jesus turning your pages. Jeez. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Sorry, Luke. Luke. See, I was testing you. I saw huh? All right, Luke chapter 4. Great position. <laughs> Whatever. All right, Luke chapter 4. All right, I'm not going to have anyone read. I just want to read a few verses. I want you to follow along. All right, Luke chapter 4, and then take a look at verse uh, 14. Okay, so 4.13, we have, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So this is the end of the temptation of Jesus Christ. So when you look at the timeline of Jesus' life, we talked about this, I think, what was it, last week? That you have Jesus, he grew up, uh, he turned 30. When he turned 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist. After being baptized by John the Baptist, he went out into the wilderness, and he was out there for how many days? 40. 40 days. Time of testing in the Bible, 40. And so he was tempted of the devil for 40 days. We know of at least three attempts, anyway, of the devil to do it, but there's probably more. And so there are 40 days that he was tested and tempted out in the desert. He came out with flying colors, and then he began his ministry. So after baptism, there was great persecution to test his faith. That's common, by the way, in case you wondered why that's happened in your life or why it's going to happen after you get baptized. That's what happens. So you get baptized. Are you legit or not? Your faith is tested, and you either come through it stronger or not. And so then he comes through and he begins his public ministry. So in in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So he just begins teaching from synagogue to synagogue. Now he goes to his hometown in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And then he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. How weird would that be? Some guy stands up, reads the scripture, and he's like, Yeah, I just did that. Boom. And he sits down. People are like, what? And of course, their words, their reaction to this in verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of, his, out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So they're wondering. So there's a stir now among the people because Jesus is now speaking the words of God. He's now telling people who he is. And now it's beginning to stir among the people. So then what ends up happening is that they all get ticked. They want to throw him over a cliff because they didn't like what he had to say. And I'm sure among the crew that were there, there were some that believed, but the majority, which controlled him, they wanted to shove him off a cliff. And he, in verse 30, it says, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I mean, you can use your creative abilities. Um, he's in his flesh, so he's not in his glorified body, so he can't necessarily pass through them. But he had the ability to pass through the crowd somehow. I don't know how. Maybe God gave him a supernatural ability at that point in time to do that. Maybe for a second, God stopped time for him and he just walked through while everyone was frozen. I don't know. But all it says, he passing through the midst of them went his way. So they wanted to go a certain way. It was opposite of what God's way was. And he went his way and he passed through the crowd. So this is what happens all the time. Jesus preaches. He speaks openly to the people. And the next one, number two, so first one, Jesus speaks openly to the people. That's got to happen first. There's no disciples of Jesus if he's not openly teaching and preaching. So number two, Jesus' Jesus's, it's one of those hard ones to say, Jesus' words are believed and received by the people. Now, obviously not all, but some, some. And uh, let's see here. Um, I have four, one through 11, but that's not it. That's not chapter four. That's a typo. Five, associated with chapter five. So make sure to write in five there. It's supposed to be Luke five, one through four. So you have people receiving and believing him prior to that, but I wanted to show you this one because this is a very public situation. So Luke five, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, because that's what he's saying, he's preaching the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, so that's Peter's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So you can imagine this. Let's say, for example, like I'm out on the water. And for this illustration, I'm Jesus. He sits down and he's preaching. And everybody's up on the hillside. They're up on the hillside and they're hearing the word of God being preached. Okay. And it says in verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. And have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So now he's left the people. And now he begins just speaking directly to Peter. Now there's no doubt there's people that are staying on the, on the shore after he's taught. And just waiting to see what he's going to do. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships. Both ships. Both ships. They didn't catch anything all night. Not one single stinking fish. Stinking literally. Not one fish. And now Jesus is like, just put your net over on the other side. And Peter's like, uh, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter, remember? 
You're telling me to throw the net over on the other side and it's in the middle of the day? Are you kidding me? Nevertheless, in thy word, I will let it down. And then he can't even pull it up. Can't even pull it up. Then they have to beg that the other guys, hey, come here. And they fill both ships, okay? And then they're so filled that they begin to sink. Verse 7, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Notice in verse 5, Simon answering said to him, Master. But now in verse 8, he calls him Lord. This is what happens when you finally come to the place where you believe Jesus over yourself. When you believe him and his words over your own reasoning and your own thinking. He goes from being your master to being your Lord. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, they forsook all, and followed him. They left everything behind that they knew, and they followed him. So this is a great illustration of Jesus' words are believed and received by the people. So that's the second step. So Jesus speaks openly, and then people have a choice to make. They're either going to receive it and believe it and actually do something about it. Like with Peter, they forsook all, and they followed him. Everything. I mean, imagine that for a second. Peter's livelihood, everything that that he had to, to make an income to provide for his family— it says that he forsook all of it. He left it completely behind. How many of us, when we hear Jesus and he's convicting us, we're willing to leave some, but not all. That's what we're talking about here. So they heard Jesus' words. They believed it. They received it. And then number three, those that receive and believe his words continue. They continue. That's important. They continue in his words. Go to John 8. John chapter 8. Oh, we're not? I wasn't. That's because he lost this round. No, I didn't. You guys are playing silly games. We'll hear a You started it, Andy. Just to All right, we see a little bit of it in 30. Someone read 30 and 31. Go ahead, Hannah. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Okay, so he speaks words right there in verse 30. Many believe, so there's an example of the last one. And now this one. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples Indeed, disciples are expected to continue. Not only do they believe at one point in time, but they keep on believing. They don't quit. Andy. I've had people ask me this before, just on these verses here, because yeah. I have highlighted, this is not about salvation here, because Jesus is obviously in the flesh, right. but this is how we can answer that. Right. When they're walking with him, they are saved. Right. So just so you guys understand that it clearly the context of the time period. Right. So right. you want to clear that up, because I'm sure some of you oh yeah yeah absolutely and even with this one i mean if you wanted to put someone put somewhere where there would be a salvation i guess you can say it would be verse 30 yeah so as he spake many believed and then 31 he's telling them okay if you're truly if you truly believe me then you're going to continue you're going to continue yeah any other questions okay okay so that's the next point those that receive and believe his words continue in his word they continue this is why those of you that are saved 
when you become inconsistent in God's word or you stop praying, you don't feel right. Things just don't, they're not right. Um, I mean, this just even happened to me the other day. So let's see, it was, uh, so last night, so things were so crazy for me. Um, yesterday, I got to work and of course, Tom and Jay are, are both gone this week. So guess who's in charge? Moi. And so there's so many things that I had to take care of. Normally when I get into the office, the first thing I do is I sit down and I do my devotions. It's the first thing I do because it's almost too difficult to do it at home with the kids and everything. So I get into the office, I clear everything off and I spend my time there. Well, it didn't happen at all yesterday. And yesterday it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And then I'm like, ah, and at the end of the day, I just didn't feel right. And so finally at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I I can do work at house at the house because there's so many projects I got to do is ridiculous. Rick and I are even talking about that (laughs) never ending. There's so many things that I could do, but I just really need to spend some time. So, you know, one of my projects before everyone came over to our house on Monday is that I strung some globe lights on our back patio. So I plugged those bad boys in, lit some citronella candles, and I just spent the next, like, hour and a half outside. And it was just awesome. Outside of the big spider that was, like, that big that came across the patio. But outside of that, everything was fantastic. And I got, had the chance to spend some sweet time with God in the book of Psalms, First Corinthians, starting to get some of this stuff down and that we were going to teach tonight. And it was like, ah, oh, it was like... Okay, all right, I'm, I'm getting back to what I needed because I needed to be fed. I need to feed myself. This is why we, we feel that way. When you're not consistently in the Bible, when you're not praying, you're not exercising your relationship with God, you just don't feel right because you were made as a born-again believer to continue. And when you don't continue, you just it's not, it's not right. Things are not going to be functioning properly. It's like you're trying to operate a gas engine without any gas in it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, you can push it downhill. I mean, that's really about it. But it's not going to be going anywhere. It's not going to be going anywhere. So those that receive and believe, they continue. And then number four. So once you continue and you start walking with God and you start spending more time with him and you start taking on his attributes and his characteristics, you become his disciple. And so the number four starts to make sense in your life. Disciples of Jesus Christ speak Jesus' words openly to people. This is what they do. Go to John chapter 1. We're already in John. Just back it up a few chapters. John chapter 1. Now, in a sense, um, I'm going to use this loosely. John the Baptist was not a disciple of Jesus Christ, but in a way he was. In a way he was. And I want to, sh- I want to just show you this real quick. So John here, and, and Pastor Tony mentioned this at, at camp too, by the way. In John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world this is he of whom i said after me come of the man which is preferred before me for he was before me which by the way in case you're wondering about that john the baptist was actually born first so john the baptist is six months older than jesus and john the baptist said this man was before me how does that work out oh because jesus is eternal right so just start chewing on that a little bit so technically, John the Baptist was before Jesus, and he even was before him as the forerunner of Jesus. But John the Baptist says, this man was before me, like he was around before me. And, verse 31, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am I come baptizing with water. And then he continues to talk about his testimony of knowing who Jesus is. And he baptizes him. Verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked... He saith, Behold 
the Lamb of God. See, John the Baptist, this is what this is his whole life, his whole mission in life was to make ready the way for Jesus Christ. And then when he's there, he's pointing the way. And John the Baptist had disciples. As you kind of read through the Gospels, you find out that he had men that followed him. But John the Baptist was saying, uh, stop following me, follow him. And see, that's what you and I need to be in the business of doing. You need to follow somebody who will show you how to walk with God and how to live a fruitful Christian life and to be a good disciple. To the point where then you start walking and then anyone that's following you, because people should be following you, by the way. If no one's following you, then you're not a good disciple yet. People should be following your example and then you are leading them to Jesus. It's not about them following you. A good disciple will say, yeah, follow me, but really you're going to be following him. So follow me as long as you want, but the ultimate goal is to be following Jesus Christ. That's the point. And you are not a disciple until you're able to take someone and point them to Jesus and they start following Jesus themselves. Because that's what disciples do. That's what they do. That's what John the Baptist did. And then verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist was successful. So this takes care of number four, and it takes care of number five. The disciples of Jesus Christ speak Jesus' words openly to people. John the Baptist is a great example of that. And then number five, Jesus' words are believed and received by people. And I wanted to put your blank for number five to be Jesus's, Jesus apostrophe, by the way, because you don't know how to write that, Jesus's. So Jesus's words. So when you speak, it's not about you and your words. When you speak, you speak Jesus's words because you're Jesus's disciple. It's very important. There are a lot of times that I get in my own way. I want people to hear me. I want people to hear my explanation, my thoughts about certain doctrine. And that's not really the issue. Like my goal is that when I speak, I want people to hear Jesus's words, not mine. Because it's not about me. It's not about you following me. It's about you following Jesus. So a lot of people get this completely messed up. It's not about you at all. It's not about following a man. It's about following Jesus. That's the only man that we should be following. So Jesus' words are, are believed and received by the people. And as you read on in John chapter 1, which we don't have time, I'll just show you a couple of spots on this one. So they're following Jesus in verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? And then in 39, he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt. And then look at 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon. So the first person he goes to after he finds out that Jesus is the Christ is he goes to his own brother. And then Jesus goes and he finds Philip. And then Philip finds Nathaniel in verse 45. So this is part of the deal. Like Once you find out who Jesus is, there should be something inside of you to want to try to go get other people that you love and care for to follow Jesus. I found him. I found the answer to everything we've been looking for. It's him. So follow me and I'll take you to him. That's part of being a disciple. This is something that's very natural. In a lot of churches and a lot of circles of Christianity, that is not natural. I don't know why, because that's not what the Bible says. When these men met Jesus, there was something in them where they had a heart for others to bring them and say, here's Jesus, you need to meet him. So if that's not part of our routine, then there's something that's not right. There's something that's not right. Knowing Jesus means you have a heart for others and you want them to know Jesus automatically, right out of the gate. And so then after that, we've got those that receive and believe his words, continue in his word again. 
So it's just the same thing over again. So disciples of Jesus, they speak Jesus' words openly. Jesus' words are believed and received by the people. And those people that receive and believe his words, they continue also. Go to John 15. John 15. John 10 plus 5. Equals 15. Come on, people. 10 plus 5. 15. All right. 16 minus 1. 15. Okay. You got it. <laughs> John. John. I know, but hey, anything I can do to get you out of where you're at to be where you need to be. John 15. John 5 times 3. Okay. Take a look at verse 4. So those that receive and believe, they continue because this is the illustration. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I love that. So here's the idea and here's the picture behind it. We can keep reading, but this is the whole point of it. Is that if a branch... I mean, try this at home if you want to. Take a tree in your backyard and remove a branch just for a day. The leaves on it will die. die. They will wither and they will die. And try to take that tree branch and try to put it back in. I mean, is it possible? Yes. It is possible if you take it out right. But if you rip it off the tree, <laughs> it ain't going back in. So... How in the world do we think that we could live a successful, fruitful Christian life if we're not continuing in Jesus Christ? Like even just one day unplugged from the trunk of the tree, Jesus, you're withering and you're dying automatically because we have no life in ourselves. Our life is in Jesus Christ. And if we don't stay connected to him, there's nothing that's flowing through you to create life. So no wonder why the decisions that we make end up leading in death and destruction because there's no life inside of us we're not connected you got to stay connected now you have the spirit of god inside of you which you know is all you really really need but i'm talking about your fellowship here the illustration here is you're with your fellowship if you're not staying in fellowship with jesus christ no life can come out and that's a problem because you're supposed to bear fruit look at verse 8 herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples Fruit is the proof that you are a true disciple. That's it. And fruit can come in many forms. Like, and how, how can you bear fruit? Give me some examples of how you can bear fruit. Yeah. Witnessing. Okay, witnessing. Yep. How else? Yep. Discipling yep, discipling someone and seeing them grow in their walk with God, right? Yep. Yes, things that you do that you didn't used to do before that are good things and things that you don't do that you used to do. Your life is different. You're changing. Yep. How else? Yep. Yes. That you pray more consistently and then your prayers are actually being answered because you're praying according to the will of God. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. Anytime you have the opportunity to, to speak Jesus' words to people, it's fruit. Every time. Every single time. Because the word of God never returns void. Isaiah talks about that. God's word, when it goes out, it always accomplishes what it's supposed to. So even though you might not think that anything that you're saying right now or anything you're doing isn't going to amount to anything, that's not true. Like even today. So I told Andy about um, the, the guy we went to high school with. And um, I knew I had to have so – I needed to bring in a spiritual part of the conversation. So I finally did. And it was super awkward. And when I was done, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. I totally like messed up this conversation. But then I'm like, no, 
it got him thinking about spiritual things. So he supposedly got saved when he was younger, after we had graduated. I don't know where he's at today. I don't know if he's faithful, but I wanted to bring up, hey, are you going anywhere now? No, I'm not. Well, you should. Maybe you should come to church sometime or whatever. And I just tried to invite him. And now he's getting to think about spiritual things. And so even though I felt like I botched the conversation because I felt it was super awkward, I knew that it was successful because I actually talked about things that made him think about God. So anytime you have the opportunity to get someone to think spiritually, it can be fruit every time. It's not necessarily winning someone to the Lord. Not necessarily. Now we should, and we should always seek that, but not necessarily. Just you taking a stand for somebody else because God would, just because that you would have an opportunity to share maybe what God is teaching you, maybe because you have the opportunity not to curse like everyone else is cursing or make bad decisions like everyone else is making bad decisions, that's fruit. Because it's, it's, it's because God's getting glorified in those sorts of things. Yeah, Jamie. I think too, like, not always speaking to other people, but like when David in the Psalms would speak to his own soul because his, his own flesh and his own soul were deceiving him, like mm-hmm. telling him lies and speaking truth to yourself so that, you know, your soul is picked up again, like to move on to the next thing, to pray and to, you know, like the whole abiding in Christ minute by minute, moment by moment bears fruit when you're preaching truth to yourself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Because your testimony and how you carry yourself, I mean, that's all dependent upon what's going on in your heart at that point in time. So all those things are fruit for sure. For sure. And so then after that, those that receive and believe his words continue in his word. And so this whole cycle, number seven continues and disciples of Jesus are multiplied. They're multiplied. They're multiplied. And, um, this is what happened in the book of John. Um, and I gave you kind of the, the recap of that one. But let's end here in Romans 10. Look at Romans 10. Romans 10. Romans 10. And let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Give me five readers. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, we'll go in that order, starting in verse 13. Yep. For I speak to you, Gentiles. 10, 13. Nope. Back up one. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go ahead. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Keep going. Whoever's next? Uh, oh, yeah, somebody else. You're number four? Who's number three? Yeah, Haley. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for he is saying, Lord, who hath Okay, so this progression, I love this progression. If you work your way backwards, because the way Paul writes this, he, he does it from one perspective, where whosoever shall call, how should they call? And so let's work on this backwards. So the first thing you got to have out of these verses is what? Somebody give it to me. What was the first thing? No. Well, yes, that's what he ended with. But you need, you need to hear, but you need to hear. What's the, what's the very first thing? It's in verse... It's in verse 15. What is it? Sent. 
Yes, you gotta be sent. That's the first thing. So once you're sent, then you need preach. Preach. Okay, and then after that. Preaching is done by preachers. That preach. So I'm gonna put preach er. <laughs> so you got a preacher that's sent, and then after someone preaches, the preacher preaches, and what do you got? Hearing. Is that the next one? Yep. Hear. People that hear it. And then, after you hear it, believe. people believe. Okay. And then after that, people call. So they have faith, and they call upon the Lord for salvation. All right? So that's the progression that you see in Romans 10. Okay? So people need to, according to verse 13... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, people can't call if they don't have the opportunity to believe. They're not going to believe if they never hear the message. They're not going to hear the message unless there's a preacher preaching that message. And there's no preacher unless someone sends them. So this is part of being a disciple. Now, where in the world are we sent? John 17. Go to John 17. John 17. John 17, verse 18. John 17, 18. That's where we're sent. Look at that. Jesus is speaking to God and he says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And the whole idea is, verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's the whole idea. So you are just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father into the world to preach a message. Jesus was sent to preach so people will hear, so they will believe, so they will call. And the end result is once they've called upon the Lord for salvation, they are disciples who are sent by Jesus Christ to preach a message so people can hear, so they can believe, so they can call. And throw markers. And then they become these disciples that are then sent to preach, hear, believe, call, disciples. This is the whole cycle of what it means to be a true disciple. If this is not your life, you cannot be a disciple. And that's bad news because if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a disciple. Got it? So that's how all of this comes together. Now, all the little nuances of, you know, dealing with sin and and dealing with issues and how to talk to people. I get that. That's like stuff in between the lines. But when those things unfold in your life, when it comes to sin issues, when it comes to things that stop you, they're stopping you from doing this. There's, and generally, here's what happens. When your sin issues pop up, here's where it happens. You've called upon the Lord for salvation, so you're born again, so that's good. But in the process of being disciple, Christ has sent you. Sometimes you stop here because of sin. Sometimes you go, but then you close your mouth, <laughs> right? Or sometimes you open your mouth, and then you stop, and then you go back. But you understand, that's a terrible arrow, you got to understand that these are the issues. So all the little things we're going to be talking about that stop us or slow us down, this is where they stop us, here and here. But most of the time, it's right here, most of the time.
So we're going to continuously improve that one and work on that one. So anything that we could deal with in the coming weeks is going to deal with this right here. Because we are disciples. If you're born again, you've called upon the Lord for salvation, you are a disciple. Now there's something that's stopping you from going and doing this. And this does not look the same for everybody. So just because someone is more vocal than others, or someone has an easier time talking to people than others, does not mean that somehow you're failing. No, you just need to figure out how are you supposed to do it. And we'll spend some time talking about that because each person is you different, is different, each person is unique, and you have a way to reach someone that I can't. I have a way of reaching someone that you can't. That's why we're part of the body of Christ. We're supposed to do this together. But either way, no matter how you slice it, this is the pattern of our life. This is the reason why we're alive. And this is the only reason why God's going to get any fruit and be glorified in our life. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for a good start tonight. I pray that you would take these things and really dig them down deep inside of us. That we would chew on this stuff. And we really consider, are we being true disciples? Are we really being an accurate reflection of who you are? So help us to see the areas which we need to um, take heed quickly. And other things are going to just take a long time, and that's okay. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who's very gracious and merciful and patient as long as we have a good attitude and we want to truly, truly grow in our walk with you. So help us, Lord. We all need help. And um, just take us where you want us to go, and I pray that we listen and just be obedient. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.